And it was a lot of him saying throughout, we will do this as long as you want to. And when you say you're done, we're doing one more because I never want you to say, I wish I would have done one more. Welcome back to a new season of Big Little Choices. This is Shree, and I'm so excited to bring you more stories, more inspiring choices, and more opportunities for all of us to learn about what other amazing women and mothers are doing. We really want this season to inspire you and to make a choice or choices that are right for you. If you've heard episodes from the previous season, I hope your takeaway was that you can make an unconventional choice, stay true to yourself, and still have a happy ending. Hope you enjoy the show. In today's conversation, you'll hear from Laura. In our generation, we hear so many stories of couples struggling with infertility, myself included. But thanks to modern science, we're able to work around some of these conditions, and in a lot of cases, women do end up getting pregnant. With IVF, or in vitro fertilization, each round includes weeks or months of medication to prime a woman's ovaries to produce more eggs, then retrieve these eggs, and then fertilize them with sperm to make embryos. These embryos are then transferred back into the woman's uterus with hopes that they will stick, grow, and end up in a healthy pregnancy. In Laura's case, she went through 11 rounds of egg retrievals, the most that I've ever heard of, and transferred 33 embryos before she got pregnant with her son. It's a crazy story given every single round of IVF takes a toll on us, our families, and our health. Laura was close to her brother and extended family, and it was never a question in her mind if she would have children or not. And when her dad passed away, it was a poignant moment when she realized how important it was to have children who could support her and her partner when they got older. Laura shares a story on why she made this unconventional choice to go through so many rounds of IVF. My partner and I met a little bit later in my life. The year we got married, I was uh, 39. We had met about five years prior to that. And... We got married that year because I said, you know, I'm starting to get nervous about my fertility. Obviously, it was quite late. And he said, well, let's talk to a doctor. Let's go see what what he has to say about it. Did a number of tests. They can't really tell you what your fertility looks like, but they can give you a general idea of, of things like ovarian reserve, of different other hormones that are running in your body. And I said, you know, you're going to probably want to get on this pretty fast. And I said, Let's plan our wedding. Let's go. Like this is I. I don't want to. I don't want you to get pregnant. And then people think we had to get married. This is where we want to go. We want to have children. We're just going to look at this a little more quickly. So you know, we started trying, and I waited a little bit of time. Went back to the doctor. Nothing had happened. He said, "All right. Well, we should probably move straight to IVF because you've got good insurance. You also don't have a lot of time. Let's go." And I don't know what I thought he was going to say, but for me, I thought oh my gosh, I, I, I don't think I'm ready for this. This isn't, this isn't how I was going to have a baby. This isn't how it was going to happen. And I just think I was holding on so tightly to preconceived notions of how I thought things should happen. Um, and then waited a few months and started going through my, then went through my first cycle. So it was almost uh, exactly a year after we got married that I did my first cycle. So what was it like to take that first step towards the process? So I very, very distinctly remember a day after I went to the doctor who ultimately did my first round of IVF. Uh, my husband had gone to work. I was working from home at the time. I was on the bathroom floor just sobbing, just sobbing like this isn't, this isn't what I wanted. This is not where it was. And I think something about that moment of letting it all out, sitting down and saying, but this is the way you're going to have a child. If this is your only hope right now, 
let's move forward. And then I had a very dear friend, I was living in New York at the time, a very dear friend who said, you know, I have a friend who went through this and she has twins, you should talk to her. And she's not a quiet little woman. She's like, listen, you're gonna be fine. This is the way it's gonna work. And I think it was a little bit about hearing someone else go through it. Um, she had had success at a very small clinic in Brooklyn. And I think hearing that it was like, oh, okay, I'll try that. Like she had not success at the bigger clinics. And so I, living in New York City, we would go out to Brooklyn and you know, when you're going through the monitoring appointments, that's every day, mm -hmm. you know? And so it was a big long trip on the subway. It was sometimes taking samples or things that I had to take on the subway. Mm -hmm. So uh, there were, you know, there's some very funny moments through that, but it was that decision of this is, this is going to have to be the way it's gonna be done. And I also remember saying to my sister, this isn't the way it was supposed to happen. And she said, it never is the way you expect it to happen. It never is. She said, you're, this is just your story. And I went, okay, let's go. And my husband was completely supportive through it all. And it's interesting you say that you weren't ready when the doctor said you have to go through IVF because I remember in our case too, the reproductive endocrinologist and he said you know what you guys are a good case for IVF mm -hmm. and I said no I said what are our options and he said IUI but I wouldn't bet on it like I don't think it's a great idea and he said at the most maybe do two rounds of IUI mm -hmm. and he's somebody who's been in the business for about you know 30 plus years we should have listened to him but we didn't and I think it was because mentally we just weren't there and we ended up dilly-dallying for six months and doing like six rounds of IUI before we were finally convinced that IVF was the only way for us to move forward. So I can totally relate to what you're saying about, you know, you have these preconceived notions about how you're going to start a family. And it actually takes a lot of mental prep yeah. for you to cross that hurdle and get on to whatever actually needs to be done. So I know we'll talk a little bit about um, the subsequent rounds of IVF mm -hmm. you had. Mm -hmm. But I want to start with what was the first round like? It was kind of crazy. I, I think for me, I had a real fear of needles. I had a fear certainly of injections, of shots. I had a fear of blood draws. And that was every day. So I went, I think went in going, okay, this is the way I've got to do it. I've got to learn. I was very happy I had this small clinic because I got very individual, individualized attention. So somebody would say, this is how you do it. And I think I went to another clinic where it was classes, but this one was, here's how you do it. Let me show you how to do it. My, my husband was there. He said, let me show you. He, they brought him in. Let me show you how you give this, administer this shot. But just looking at those were just overwhelming. I was very lucky to have a great nurse on the other side that I could call and say, I don't think I mixed this right. I don't know what's going on, but there's so much anxiety over getting it right. There's so much anxiety over, did I, did I do that right? Was that the right time, the wrong time? Did I do something to mess this up? Where it's very interesting that the drugs and everything that you're on are to control you. You control your cycle to control that to the best of their ability so you have the best outcome, yet you feel somewhat in control of somehow screwing this up. So it's a very hard piece to have so much anxiety over that. I also didn't appreciate what the medications were doing to me. Certainly I knew they were, you know, increasing egg production, but I didn't, it didn't occur to me that it was also huge doses of hormones that were greatly affecting my, my well-being, my, my mind every day, mood swings that were insane. Uh, and I think, you know, after you go through the whole process and you get, you have your egg retrieval. Just, that was just astounding to me of how that 
that that was, this thing was going to happen. I think I had I'm trying to remember. I believe we retrieved six eggs, which I've heard of people who they can retrieve twenty something, and I was like, this isn't this is terrible, right? <laughs> like at your age and stage, this is fantastic. And then and how did, old were you at that point? I was I was forty. When you think about fertility. 40s very I mean that's that's up there and it's not the thing where you go this is really very very low chances is going to work it's I'm doing these things this is going to work and so we did then once they fertilized the eggs in the lab we ended up with three that fertilized which is a 50% fertilization rate which is incredible and they transferred those three three in a fresh cycle at my age they said there's I said I don't I don't want triplets and they said the chances of that happening are incredibly low this just gives you a better chance. Trust me, with the averages and everything else is the right thing to do. And I mean, I did not like that at all. I did get pregnant with that cycle. You don't do like a home pregnancy test. They take your blood and they'll, they'll check tracking the the um, amount of human growth hormone in your in your blood. So it's called a beta test. And I had a pretty okay number at first, and then every two days they they continue to take the number, um, take the blood test and get a number, and it's supposed to double every. Uh, somewhere near double every 48 hours and the second one was great the third one didn't go anywhere and they said well we don't think this pregnancy is viable did an ultrasound and they said well it's what's called a blighted ovum it's there's really not anything in there it's not a sac it just kind of created this sac it created a sac but there's nothing in it so your body thinks it's pregnant but it's not and that <laughs> was horrible because my body thought it was pregnant. I was bloating, I had tender breasts, I had mood swings, I had all these things going on. And it took 10 weeks for that to pass. 10 weeks, as my husband said, you can be kind of pregnant. And I was kind of pregnant for 10 weeks and I was emotional and I was angry and I was just in disbelief that I could go through all of this. I could get pregnant, but not really. So that, that, was, that was hard for me. It was hard for my partner because he, he had to be supportive for me, but at the same time, he's sad. You know, it was, and it was awful. And uh, finally, after 10 weeks, it passed, passed three days before my nephew was born and I went to go visit him. So a lot of things juxtaposed that are, are just so bittersweet. And I think one of the hardest things that I experienced when I was going through IVF, in addition to, you know, the mental, emotional, physical toll that it takes on you, is this feeling of control where you feel like because you're going through IVF, you somehow have control over the process, right? And you go in taking all of these injections, the oral medication, the egg retrieval, and you come out of it thinking, oh, we got this. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you know, like you were saying, we have six eggs, 50% have fertilized, two of them have gone through genetic screening, we have two great quality embryos, we're all set, it's going to work mm -hmm. out. And then it doesn't. Either you have a chemical pregnancy, you have a blighted ovum, just doesn't stick for whatever reason that's right. unknown to doctors. And I think that feeling of not being in control, despite having done every possible thing mm -hmm. you could have, and it's not even that, you know, doing every possible thing, but it's like, it just takes such a toll on your body. And you feel like that is still not enough. I think for me, it gave me these feelings of inadequacy of like, I was doing something wrong. You know, that no matter how well you eat, what supplements you take, 
how much acupuncture you do, the best doctor you see, you know, you take the medications on time between the window of 8.35 and 8.45 every single night for 12 (laughs) nights, it's still not enough. And I think that was the hardest piece for me when I went through the experience. I completely understand that. I hear all of that. So coming out of the first round, how was it like for you when you, or rather, when did you decide that you were ready to go through another egg retrieval? So then went back and talked to the doctor and said, so what do you think is next? And they said, well, I think we're going to use the same protocol, same types of medication, the same window, the same thing. And so went through it again, did all the right things, had the same kind of, you know, I think we had seven embryos that time, and three fertilized again, transferred three, like all the things. And we were there and we're, we're so excited, like, well, this is the time. Didn't even get pregnant that time. Um, and I think the fact that I got pregnant the first time gave me hope. And there were plenty of doctors who said, well, you can get pregnant. That's great. Then when I didn't get pregnant the, the second time, I went, but I'm doing all the acupuncture. Maybe it's because I ate one piece of bread. Maybe it's because I had too much sugar. Maybe it's because I hopped on my right leg instead of my left leg. I mean, you go through so many things and it's that control. But I think I was to the point where I thought, I've done all the things. I, I don't understand. I don't understand. I did everything right. So everything you're saying, but it was devastating that I could do all these things again. Right. And it didn't work. And it was then that I went back to that doctor and said, okay, what what do you think we should do? And they were going to do the same protocol again. I said, you're not going to change anything. And I knew enough at that point of talking to other practitioners and such that sometimes you just want to change a protocol and see if it works. So at that point, then I changed to a much larger clinic where they psycho like hundreds of women at a time and did not have that personalized approach, but they said, we're going to try a couple other things. So they were trying things where they would take some of the uterine lining and grow that in the dish with the embryos so that it already had, it was acclimated to the environment because they saw some success with that. Um, they were doing two-day transfers instead of three-day transfers because some people's embryos just do better outside in the body instead of in the lab. Then the next time it was five-day transfers. But I also had gotten at that point, um, I was getting like five embryos, developed mature embryos with my cycle, so I was transferring then five. Got pregnant the third time. Doing great, doing great. Two weeks go by, nothing. So then lost another one. And it was just enough that we were about to go in for that that uh, ultrasound where we were hoping to hear the heartbeat. It was just enough that I remember my husband went on a business trip and had called and he was so excited. Like he just was, you could hear the excitement in his voice and already kind of planning was the furthest we'd gotten with a pregnancy. He came home and two days after he came home, I said, well, they haven't called me with my beta numbers today. And I know if they don't call by 2.30, that that's the doctor calling me after 3.30 because that's when he's done with, with clinical and that's gonna mean that this didn't work. And he says, you don't know that. It's exactly what happened. And you start learning these things. And so I saw he was devastated. I was devastated. And it was then really after that first site, that first cycle of the new clinic that he said, I'm going to every appointment with you. I said, you don't trust me? He said, no, I need to hear too for me what's happening. I need to hear what our odds are. And it was a lot of him saying throughout, we will do this as long as you want to. And when you say you're done, we're doing one more because I never want you to say, I wish I would have done one more. So after her fifth round, Laura and her husband moved to California for her husband's work and resumed the process by talking to a few new doctors. 
She simultaneously had to get several hysteroscopies done to remove adhesions from her uterus to improve her likelihood of getting pregnant and continued exploring other options that might eventually lead to a pregnancy. Got to California. It was a new place. My husband had a new job. I wasn't doing very well in my work because I couldn't be present really and couldn't travel and it was a job that took a lot of travel. I was depre horribly depressed and I think at that point with so many hormones that had gone through my body over and over again and when they do a hysteroscopy they have to make sure you don't get pregnant. So then I'm on birth control which feels horrible. You're like I can't even like have this hypothetical miracle baby mm -hmm. in the middle right which is so silly right. but it's part of your mindset. Absolutely. Um, and there were just so many hormones and my body had been so compromised for so long. I remember being in the shower one morning, my hair was falling out. I was just so stressed out and so upset. And I just cried and cried and cried. My husband called me at noon and said, where are you? I said, I'm, I'm in the apartment. He said, okay, we're working from home today. I said, I did two meetings. Are you gonna leave? Are you gonna leave the house today? I said, I, I can't, I just can't go anywhere. I just can't go anywhere. He said, you, you have to go. Like we gotta do something. And so he made an appointment at the nail spa down the street. And he says, you have an appointment and you have to go. So you just gotta have to go and get your nails done. Just please leave the house and I'll, we're gonna go out for dinner tonight. But it was really at that point that I realized this was taking a horrible toll on me. I've been seeing a therapist throughout and she said, I, I don't recommend you doing any more cycles. This is just too much for you. And you've done how many cycles? At that point, five. Okay. At five. But I had to stop and just take stock of where I was and what I needed to do. And my husband said, what can I do for you? I said, I need to figure this out on my own. And I had, at that point throughout, a number of people saying, why don't you just adopt? Why don't you, you know, you can have a surrogate. You know, you can go ahead and you can have um, an egg donor. Like there's so many other things that you can do. And it made me so angry because of course I know that. Mm -hmm. But it was such a desire of mine to have my own child. I know that's selfish, it may seem selfish to many, but as I once said to somebody who kept pushing me, you should adopt, you should adopt, you should adopt. I said, if you had the choice of having your own biological children or adopting a child, what would your choice been? And she had two children. She said, I would want my own biological children. And I said, can I please try that myself first? But I also decided I was going to do something else for myself. And it was during that time that I found um, a infertility support group here in San Francisco and met some of my very best friends right now that I have right now. And we met in that support group and I realized I wasn't alone. I realized that there were other things I could be considering. But I also realized that I had another place to have an outlet, that it was okay to cry, it was okay to be angry, it was okay to say crazy things that were going on in your mind. What was it that drove you to keep doing it over and over again when you could actually see the toll that this process was taking on you? That's a great question. I think in some ways the support group gave me some more hope too of just there are other things I could try. And I think also by round five, I started to also open my mind up to other ideas. That was the first time I think my husband and I said, maybe we should look into egg donation. Maybe we should, where we talked about that very early on and we're like, oh no, no, that's not an option. So you do start to open your mind to other things, which even though you're still going through the cycles, it does give you some hope of there's another way, but let's this many more and then we'll do this. We also were talking to new doctors. We were going to a new clinic and they had other ideas of what could be done. They're like, oh, you can do human growth hormone injections through this, which I did. At 100 bucks a pop, it was great. That's, I mean, being facetious, it's incredibly expensive. But I don't know. For me, it was just always in my mind that I would have this child. 
And you were willing to try as much as you had to in order to have the child. Yes. We were also, and this is a very important point, we were very lucky that we had been working for companies between the two of us where there was some IVF coverage. For many people, that is not an option. For many people, their opportunity to do even one, two, multiple cycles is just not even possible because it's not, the, the money's not there. There's usually not insurance coverage for such things. And that money runs out really fast, really fast. We had each set of our parents pay for a cycle. We would bank up money and pay for a cycle. And we knew financially it was taking a toll, but we did dipped into some of our savings, quite a bit of it, but you do what you need to. At this point, Laura met a doctor in San Francisco who suggested that they take a break from the embryo transfers and instead start banking embryos. He thought that Laura had been through too much and needed a break from the emotional and physical strain. Banking means that post the egg retrieval process, the embryos aren't transferred back into the uterus immediately, but stored to build up a bank of embryos to use at a later time. So subsequent cycles for Laura meant more medication and more embryos, but unfortunately no pregnancies. Finally, sometime during the 10th egg retrieval process, Laura heard of something promising in her fertility group. I was in my group. There was a woman in there who was going through reproductive immunologist talked to them and there's a lot of there's some belief in a faction of the reproductive endocrinology community that there can be immunological factors other than the some obvious ones that could be preventing pregnancy or destroying pregnancies and there is a process that some people do where they take an infusion of medication that really completely suppresses their immune system and it's very very hard on the body and it's not possible to use it for that purpose in the U.S. So they would travel to Mexico, they would travel to Canada to have these infusions done. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this sounds crazy, but, and you have to have several of them before your body's ready to do a transfer. And we went back and forth thinking, shall we do this? Shall we not do this? And finally I just said, I'm going to talk to my doctor about it. He said, I don't believe in reproductive immunology. I just don't think it's a thing. I think it works for some people sometimes, but I think it's more of a fluke. And the idea is that it suppresses your immune system enough so that when there is an embryo transfer, the uterus will take the embryo or rather the embryo will stick. Some type of antibody that they may find in the body that may attack an embryo that's almost like autoimmune would be suppressed such that your body would be able to take to, to hold the pregnancy and it would get strong enough while you're on this medication to then be able to grow itself by itself. So I, I talked to my doctor about it. He said, I don't really believe this, but there's one person that I think is very smart. He's a very bright person, and I would trust you to go talk to him. He was in New York, did phone consults with him, and he said, well, I don't see anything in your current labs that tell me there's a problem, but we have a lot more labs to do. Let's do this. And it took a while to get those tests back, and, and we ended up doing a transfer. of We'd had another cycle in the midst of that. We banked embryos. I did another retrieval cycle. And, and that is retrieval number 10? This was 11. Oh, this was 11. 11. Okay. This was 11. And did the transfer. And the day after the transfer, I had my conversation with this doctor. And he said, I found something. It's this really strange, some kind of anti-nuclear antibody speckled version, whatever that means. It somehow is tied to proclivity toward rheumatoid arthritis, but it's also somewhat autoimmune. 
and so they said, well, we, sh we can't put you on IVIG right now, which is the drug that suppresses a, your immune system completely because you've just done a transfer, but we can put you on blood thinners to make sure that there's not any blood problems, we can, which is Lovenox shots. They can put you on very high dose of steroids that will suppress quite a bit of your immune system to help with that. Um, you'll be on a baby aspirin every day, and you'll continue to do your progesterone shots that you were doing from your doctor. And he said, but I can't do any of this. I can't prescribe any of it. You're under the care of a different productive endocrinologist. I will call him and tell him all this, but this is ultimately up to him. Mm -hmm. And I knew, oh my gosh, you know. I knew enough to know if you're taking steroids for a long period of time, it's not good for you. The doctor called me and he said, I, I, I talked to the doctor in New York. What he's asking is somewhat risky. And there's a lot going on with this. And I, I this is not a protocol I'd want to follow, but... We've been through a lot together. You've done everything. If you want to do this, I'll monitor you and we'll do it. And I said, all right. He said, call your husband, talk to him, and tell me what you want to do. And I said, I want to do it. He said, no, I need you to call your husband. This is a big decision. I said, all right. Called him, and I don't, I don't think I thought for a second there was, I wouldn't do it. So we did it. I transferred seven embryos that time. And after my two-week wait, we had had my blood work done. And actually, you're never supposed to take a pregnancy test when you're going through this. And I took a home test. And it was the darkest two lines I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. I'd ever seen in my life. And I, and I remember walking back very early in the morning. I walked back into the bedroom. I said, you have to see something. He goes, you weren't supposed to do that. I said, we have to see it. And he goes, do not get your hopes up. Do not get your hopes up. And then I texted my other friend immediately. I was like, look at this. And then went in and had my, my blood work done and the numbers were very high and they continued and continued. Then we went in for, and I had to stay kind of inside, really kind of secluded just to make sure that I wasn't getting too exposed to other things that were out in the world, <laughs> staying well. Had all of the, the, the different symptoms going on and then went in for our ultrasound. And I mean, my husband jumped out of the chair. He saw a heartbeat and just like, lost his mind. It was amazing. Um, though they said, yes, there's a heartbeat there. We have a, we have a healthy embryo that looks there. This looks like, a, you know, we've got a, uh, got a heartbeat going. And they said, well, what's that over there? And they said, well, looks like we had another one. Didn't make it, but that's all right. This one's great. And this one's healthy. And I think it was at that time too, that we said, well, I guess the immunology pieces worked. And he said, we don't know that. Maybe if the immunology pieces worked, you could have been pregnant with more. Was this just the right one at the right time? So we'll never really know. Laura, I do want to ask you a question over here, which is that IVF in itself is an extremely intense process. And especially for somebody like you who's been through or who had been through 11 egg retrievals. And at some point you make this choice to add on um, the blood thinners and a high dosage of steroids. What was it like making that choice? Like, you know, at the... At some point where you like, I will do anything yeah. that I can get my hands on in order to try and have a biological child? I think at some point also you just get so far down in the weeds. You're like, I, we're doing this. You're on the train. Your mindset's stuck there. You're like, this is what I'm doing. Is it a feeling of like, how much worse can it get? Mm, there's definitely the how much worse can it get. I think it was the point where we're like, well, it, it may not work. Why not try? And when you have this new glimmer of hope of, well, we found this thing, maybe this is it, you go for it. And I think, you certainly looking back at it, you're like, why didn't I ever stop? Why did I just go, this isn't working, just stop. Why just stop? And I, 
I guess I was so immersed in the world, that world too, that I was like, I just do this. There was a little bit of, we're this far in. Any back to my husband's piece of, tell me when you're done and when you're done, we're doing one more because I don't want you to ever say, I wish we would have done one more. I wish we would have, try, would have tried this thing. And so when the immunology piece came down, he said, how can I say no to you? This is one that, that one piece of hope. And if this is the thing you want to do, and you believe that this is the right thing for you, then we're doing it. I don't want you to say, I wonder if it would have worked if we did that piece. I said, so you do it. Laura's son is almost four now. And while it's been a long and difficult journey for Laura and her husband to get here, they've both decided that their connection with infertility services wouldn't end just as yet. They both act as advocates for family building, be it via fertility treatments like IVF or foster care or adoption, and use all the knowledge they've gained to give back and raise awareness and influence policies that affect those who don't have the same resources. Laura's story shows her resilience, perseverance, and strength in overcoming many obstacles to have her son. I was so inspired by her story of how she used hope to keep moving forward. We wrapped up our chat with her final thoughts and advice that she has for women who want to make an unconventional choice when it not just affects them, but their partners and their families. The first piece is that you're stronger than you think. I learned that so profoundly through this process. I, I think if someone would have told me my journey beforehand, I would have said no way. The other piece is that you've got to follow your heart. Your heart will tell you a lot of things. Yes, your head needs to validate a lot of things with your heart. The other thing, especially in this case, is to seek out others. You're not alone. And most decisions that people will make, how, no matter how strange they may seem or unconventional they may seem, someone's done this in some way. Seek out that person and find out what things they did, did what types of, of resources they used. Because I became stronger when I had others who were also helping me get through this. And for me, it's worth it. When you followed your heart, and you've done those things that mean so much to you, whether or not they are conventionally successful, they're successful because you did it. Thank you for listening to this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back soon with another interview. And until then, if you have any feedback or comments on the kinds of choices you want to hear more about, let me know.